Welcome to season three of Shaped by the Word. And this year we cover the story of the prophets. And this is the podcast before the podcast when we kind of bring you into the story of the prophets and help you uh, orient yourself toward what we will be reading this year. This is a really exciting, you know, section of scripture. In the prophets, you know, the gospel begins to take shape. Uh, we've had hints of it, you know, uh, from the very beginning in Genesis, and we've had hints of it, you know, in God's promises to Abraham. Uh, but in the prophets, you begin to see a future hope of a time when God will restore his people and not only restore his people, but restore all of creation. So you really hear rich keynotes, you know, of the gospel. Matter of fact, if you were to take the book of Matthew and you were to highlight every instance where a prophecy is mentioned, or, you know, the Old Testament prophets, you know, come in uh, to the story, uh, you would be incredibly impressed with the number of allusions you have uh, to the gospel you know, as found in the prophets. So we need to orient ourselves in a couple of ways. You know, let's orient ourselves, first of all, uh, you know, to where the prophets are in, in Scripture. Uh, they're the last half of our Old Testaments. So if you divide, you know, the Old Testament, you know, up, you have the historical books, you know, that take you through, you know, Second Kings. And then you have the writings in the wisdom literature, the Psalms and the Proverbs, uh, Job uh, and Ecclesiastes. And then you have the prophets and the prophets come to us in two groups. We talk about major prophets and uh, major prophets doesn't mean they're far more important uh, than the other prophets. It just means they're a little more long winded than the other prophets. Uh, the way these early writings would have been collected, they would have been collected in scrolls. So Isaiah would have been an entire scroll. Uh, Jeremiah would have been an entire scroll. Ezekiel uh, would have been an entire scroll. And, and Daniel would have been most, you know, of an entire scroll. And some of Hebrew scriptures, he's included among the writings rather than among the prophets. And, uh, and then you have the minor prophets, which are 12, and all 12 of them would fit on one, you know, single scroll. We're going to unroll the prophets, you know, not uh, by major prophets and minor prophets, but we're going to put them into the story of God's redemptive plan in, in Israel. And, and of course, when we talk about, you know, the overarching narrative of the Bible, we're talking about, you know, God's purposes in creation. We talk about the fall. And then we talk about redemption. And redemption is a long story uh, leading from God's promise to Abraham all the way to its fulfillment in Christ, in the New Testament. And God's promise to Abraham is, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. I will make you into a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So you have you know, this sense that uh, God is forming for himself a people that will be a reflection of his grace and his glory and proclaim you know, his wonders to the world. And that was the purpose of Israel which, uh, much like the church, which is also the purpose of the church, by the way, they never really fulfilled in a major way. So we have Abraham wandering the land. We have Isaac, uh, and then we have, you know, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, of course, has, you know, 12 sons, which become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes. And they go to Egypt and are there in captivity for 400 years. And God rescues them in a mighty deliverance, which uh, you know, foreshadows his mighty deliverance of us on the cross. You know, we see the exodus in a lot of vivid you know, imagery. Uh, the cross is far more powerful, and yet we, we don't see you know, all of the outward signs and wonders you know, that we see you know, forming around uh, the exodus. 
And, and so God brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai and brings them into a covenant uh, that we call the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinaitic Covenant, where he promises, uh, you will be my people, I will be your God, and I will dwell in your midst. And then we have the end of the book of Leviticus. What in the world do we do with the book of Leviticus? The book of Leviticus is really preparing God's people to live in the presence of God, an unholy people in the presence of a holy God. So we have to be very careful about how we live, how we conduct our lives, how we enter the temple, and how we enter our presence. And so there's both a nearness and a distance. God is near because he's in the middle of his people, but he's distant because you know there's space that is you know separating and is separating them. Then you have the book of Numbers, and the book of Numbers is that first generation coming right up to the edge of the promised land. And said, oh, these guys are way too big. They're way too powerful. There's no way we could ever take them. Moses, why in the world did you lead us out here? Let's go back to Egypt. After all, there's a lot of leeks and onions back there, and everybody loves, you know, leeks and onions. And uh, so that generation wastes away in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is a new generation. Uh, these are, you know, the people that uh, are ready to go into the promised land. So you have wonderful speeches from Moses preparing them, you know, for these moments. And here it's, you know, that he, Moses actually takes the role of a prophet. And he reminds them that one day God will send you another prophet, you know, pointing you know, to the New Testament part, uh, you know, of that as well. And so you have a nice period in Joshua when they trust God and he delivers the land into their hands and they conquer the land. And then the next generation falls away in a big way. There's a book of Judges, which is one of the most discouraging books you'll find you know, in all of the New Testament, kind of the epitaph in Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the end of Judges is just this downward spiral of repentance and judgment, repentance and judgment, repentance and judgment. And every time they slide further and further into judgment, and you come to the end of it, and it's really kind of ugly. Uh, then the nation asked for a king. So they get a king like the rest of the nations and Saul. And then after Saul is unfaithful to God, you have David, and this is the golden moment. Uh, they have a leader, you know, that is after God's own heart. And uh, the leader is not a perfect leader, but every time he falls, he uh, comes back, you know, to a point of pure devotion to the Lord. So his trajectory is always toward the your, when your worship of the Lord. Son Solomon starts out well, but Solomon increases the wealth of the nation and the borders of the nation, and as the nation prospers, they forget God, and Solomon forgets God. And, and, and by the end, you have, you know, this wonderful, wealthy nation that's come on to national prominence, uh, but the drift from God has been severe, uh, whenever Solomon passes off the scene, his son Rehoboam, you know, comes to the throne. He's not near the man his father was. Uh, there are ten tribes, you know, that are kind of are on the outlying parts of the kingdom or the northern part of the kingdom who have been heavily taxed. And so they send their envoys, you know, to Rehoboam, and they say, you know, if you let up the burden, we'll serve you forever and we'll be a united people. And Rehoboam's response after talking, you know, to the young man is, uh, you think my dad was tough. My little finger's a lot thicker than his, you know, thigh. He scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. And uh, so they said, see ya. And, and the ten tribes, you know, fell away. Rehoboam is about to pursue him, but God says, no, this is, this is my will. I've broken the nation 
you know, from you. So Israel is now two people, uh, the nation of Israel and uh, Judah and Benjamin, which you know, becomes known as you know, the kingdom of Judea or uh, of, of Judah. And so they have two different trajectories. Sometimes in Judah, there, there is a return to God. And there are moments of true revival in Judah. From the very beginning, Israel, uh, you know, uh, Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, realizes, you know, if, if people keep going back to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices, pretty soon their hearts are going to turn back to, you know, a united nation. So he resurrects, so to speak, the golden calves from early on. And he puts one in Dan and one in Bethel. And so he has two shrines and there are moments in a, uh, at the height of the evil uh, where you know Ahab and uh, Jezebel have you know hundreds of prophets of Baal and Asherah, and the nation is far from God as it could possibly be, and so they will eventually go uh, be destroyed you know by the Assyrians. There's going to be three major powers that we deal with when we deal with the prophets. Uh, we'll deal with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. Uh, kind of set that on the map, you know, that puts you uh, in uh, uh, modern-day Iran, in Iraq. Uh, the Assyrians and uh, uh, the Babylonians would be Iraq. The Persians would be Iran. So tension's still kind of uh, boiling, you know, between these groups of people even uh, even to this day. So the Syrians will, will conquer around 722. Uh, will conquer, you know, the, the ten tribes, you know, that are closest, you know, to them, the northern tribes, and uh, that's about where the prophets kick in. Uh, prophets come from about uh, the middle of the eighth century to the middle of the fifth century, you know, seven hundred fifty BC, you know, around four hundred fifty BC, and there's four hundred years between there and the New Testament where there's silence, and uh, it's right before uh, the nation actually falls into the hands. Uh, of, of Assyria, that the prophets begin to proclaim God's impending judgment. And uh, ironically, they come on the scene when Israel seems to be prospering. And everybody is, is you know, they're expanding their borders, you know, the ten tribes, and uh, their riches are, you know, beyond comparison, you know, to what they'd been. And it really seems like we've hit our stride. And uh, the prophets come in and say, no, you're, you have not, even though you're prospering outwardly, inwardly. Uh, you have denied your God. And so that's, you know, the picture you know, that we get with the prophets. And that's, you know, where we start. So the prophets will rotate back and forth, you know, between uh, the northern kingdom and, and the southern kingdom, proclaiming the judgment of God, but also the hope that comes from repentance and restoration. And then they'll point to a future time when God himself uh, will restore all things. So the major complaints that the prophets are going to have is uh, that uh, you're simply going through your motions in the relationship with God. They hadn't quit offering sacrifices. They uh, were just kind of becoming synchronistic. They were offering their sacrifices and also worshiping other gods. And so the second thing was you, you have idols. And then the third thing that's really important is you, you are not honoring the poor and the disenfranchised among you. So there are three big concerns that you have. You know, in, in the prophets. One, uh, for authenticity in the worship of God. Two, for setting aside your idols. And, and three, toward living toward the poor and the least of these in a way that is rich and generous. And so that leads us into uh, season one of the prophets. And uh, 
we will start that with the podcast immediately following this. So in looking forward to this, it should be a rich time as we read together. <laughs>